Well, as we continue our series in the 52-day plan, we are truly in Babylon. Nehemiah is actually an ambassador from Persia, but his homeland, the walls got destroyed by the Babylonians so many years ago. And he has felt prompted by God to come to an area devastated by Babylon 70 years ago and to rebuild it. And he's gonna come face to face with discouragement. And if you ever wanna try anything of meaning or value, you're gonna face discouragement, right? There's some kind of grander vision for your life that you thought about pursuing and then you got too discouraged that you just kinda settled. I had visions of a great marriage, maybe, but spent 20, 30 years and you're settling. Just got discouraged. I guess we're just too different. You had a vision of getting out of debt or, or having a certain amount saved for retirement, but some things came your way that you didn't expect to come your way and you're tempted to give up on the vision. Why? Because you got discouraged. Discouragement comes our way in so many forms. We're just developing a better version of ourselves, the best version of yourself, making a difference. And you realize 10, 20 years, 30 years into your career, am I really making a difference? Or have I just developed a comfortable life? It was just too hard, too difficult to figure out how to solve that issue in the community that God had prompted me to be part of. Well, I want to tell you like Nehemiah did, let's not let discouragement deter us from the incredible walls God wants to rebuild in your life and mine. Because it's true, discouragement is a two-headed monster. And we're going to look at that today. But hope is a two-sided sword. And we can take on the discouragement of that monster with the, the resolve and the reflection that God offers us through hope. So if you've ever come face to face with that two-sided monster we call discouragement, I hope today will be an encouragement to you as we look at how to take it down with the sword of hope. So we begin today by looking at two sources of discouragement, a truly two-sided monster coming from Sanballat and Tobiah. They're back. That's right, they've showed up a couple of chapters ago trying to discourage the rebuilding of the wall. And they truly are a two-headed monster of discouragement. And that's the first head we're going to look at. The head of critique. If you and I attempt to do anything of meaning and value, somebody's going to criticize us. They're going to criticize our motives. Why are you really doing that? They're going to criticize our strategy. You know, I could have done that better. They're going to criticize the thoughts, the process, the success potential. And you're going to be like, you know what? There's some good points in there. And it's going to discourage you or dis your courage. You're going to lose the courage to keep moving forward with that vision. But recognize discouragement for what it is. Dissing your courage. And instead, Notice what's happening so you can identify it and overcome it. What do I mean? Well, let's look at what happens here. The first head of critique comes from Sandballad. That's a guy's name. So it happened when Sandballad heard that we were rebuilding the wall. Success is happening. Progress is being made. But Sandballad does not want there to be progress. 
he is kind of in bed with the, the enemies that don't want this town protected. They don't want this to be a potential marketplace that takes away from their market share. So Sanbel does not have good motives. He's not happy the walls being rebuilt. In fact, he was furious and very indignant. That's what the head of critique comes across. I'm very angry at you. I can't believe you'd do this. I can't believe your motivation. Simply because we're making progress to do something that serves other people. Here's what's fascinating. This wall and this account in Nehemiah is not just some fanciful story. It really happened. In fact, did you know that they found Nehemiah's wall? Now, a little background here. This is what Israel looked like during the time of Jesus or King Herod. So the walls went all the way around here and it had a massive temple. Now, that's not what it looked like in Nehemiah's day. But this temple and these walls were built on top of the walls that Nehemiah built for a smaller temple back in 586 BC time period. But as they were digging down in this section of modern day Jerusalem, they came across some old walls. And these old walls, which are rippled down in this section here, were fascinating. Because someone had buried their dogs right next to the wall. And so this archaeologist was carbon dating the walls and realized these walls were the very walls built by Nehemiah back at 500-600 BC. So they came across these walls. And when Sanballat was saying, this is never going to last, this is never going to be successful, in 2020, we actually have evidence of those walls built by Nehemiah and his team, still in existence today. Don't let the head of critique keep you from building something that makes a difference. Don't let that two-headed monster discourage you. Recognize that first head for what it is, the head of critique. But there's a second head. The second head is the head of questioning. Now, What's interesting is that I told you there was a two-headed monster. And the first head is Sanballat. The second one is a guy named Tobiah. Now, I call Tobiah the, the Igor of the story. He's like, Igor, it kind of goes around, thinks he's hilarious, and he's not really hilarious. Verse 2. Notice again how the head of critique overwhelms him with questions. Who, what, when, where, why? I think as a leader, that's why we get overwhelmed. When people question us, they bring up some questions we're already asking. Good point. I know. I haven't figured that out yet. Verse 2. He spoke before the brethren and the army of Samaria, saying, What are these feeble Jews doing? This is Sanballat. Notice all the questions. Will they fortify themselves? Are you really going to build a wall that can fortify yourself? Are you going to start offering sacrifices in your temple? Will they complete it in a day? It's never going to happen. Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Resources that have been burned, stones that have been burned. You don't have the resources. You don't have the time. It's never gonna happen. So notice the first head of critique is just question after question after question. Like a, like a Pez dispenser, just one after another coming at you. But then there's a second character here, Tobiah. Igor of the story who thinks he's hilarious and he comes at him with 
just general critique as well. Here's what he says. Then Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. <laughs> and he said to himself, <laughs> whatever they build, <laughs> even if a fox trots on top of it, <laughs> it's going to break down their stone wall. <laughs> there are such small-minded people that don't have vision. They see only obstacles. They see only fear. And they're going to try and discourage your vision. Whether Tobiah, even a fox can knock that thing down, or the sound ballad sophistication of who, what, when, where, why, we're all going to face the two-headed monster of discouragement. Have you ever faced it? You ever heard the voice of sand ballad or the voice of Tobiah in your life? I think we all have. In fact, I was reading years ago a quote that impacted me by Mother Teresa. Many of you know Mother Teresa was absolutely committed to a God-sized vision of helping the poor in Calcutta. But that did not come without the two-headed monster of discouragement. People critiquing her values, trying to discourage her from making a difference in her life. And she shared something. It's a quote I used to keep on my desk. Now I just read it about once every year or so. It's so powerful in describing what she struggled with and how she kept her resolve. Here's what she said. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're, if you're kind, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful... You will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating will bring you serenity and happiness and some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it's just between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Isn't that powerful? It goes on, it says several more quotes, like the, the things you spend your life building, someone will just knock it down and try and kick you in the teeth, but succeed anyway. I love that resolve to say, recognize the monster of discouragement for who it is. People are even questioning Mother Teresa's motives. Now there, you might have a problem, right? People are gonna try and discourage us. I sat down, I think it was about two months ago in the middle of the summer, with a business guy, and he had felt that his business was doing very, very successful, he and his family, but they had some personal crisis health-wise in their family. Because of that, they felt like if they didn't have access to the kind of health care they need in this arena, then maybe other people in the community were struggling as well. So as he began to talk that day at lunch, he said, I felt compelled to try and bring resources together to offer these services to our community. I said, well, how's it going? He said, now I know why nobody has done this up to this point. 
like, tell me more. He said, this is an incredibly difficult business model. You don't get good quality services because insurance and medical just don't pay what's needed to get the kind of resources needed to help people where they're at. I said, well, what's the most challenging part? And he had this phrase I loved. He said, well, the more I've thought about this and this endeavor, he'd been in about 10 years at this point. He said, I realize I've got a tiger by the tail. That's how he described it. Wow, that's a great way to describe. You're in the middle of a vision. You're trying to help other people. You find out it's tougher than you thought. The wall's got more holes in it than you thought. People are attacking you. Sandballot over here and Tobai over here. You're overwhelmed. You've got a tiger by the tail. So here's what I want you to know. When you face discouragement, trying to be the kind of parent you really set out to be, and now it's preteen, teenage, 20-something age, and the kids aren't thinking with you. Don't give up on the vision. When you find financially that things aren't on track to that five-year, 10-year plan the way you hoped, discouragement is a natural part of accomplishing anything significant. You might have a tiger by the tail, but don't give up. Because God was in this process with Nehemiah. And those walls, as you saw, are going to last. Remember those giant walls? I mean, those pavers are ginormous. When they built this thing and put this thing together, they were building a vision for generations to come. Succeed anyway. And you're going to need a tool to do that. Because discouragement is a two-headed monster. But hope. Hope, it's a two-sided sword. In fact, I'd like you to uh, hear the story firsthand of my friend Rich. He actually had a firsthand experience with Nehemiah, and he was able to find and wield the sword of resolve and reflection as he faced his own difficulty. Let's watch. Well, Rich, it is great to have you with us today. I thought it'd be great to hear your story because you know what it's like to pursue a vision, have a burden, see a need, and then also know that even when you pursue a vision, it can come with discouragement. It can come with challenge. It can come with the unexpected. And specifically, Nehemiah's story in the Bible motivated you professionally. Tell me a little about what happened 10 years ago through the story of Nehemiah that motivated you to start a, a, a new business endeavor. Yeah, so uh, we started a company called Nehemiah Manufacturing uh, a little over 10 years ago, as you said. And you know, I had uh, spent most of my career in, in corporate America. I always thought of myself as an entrepreneur, but in reality, I spent uh, most of my career working for large companies like Deloitte and uh, Procter & Gamble. But uh, coming out of the, the Great Recession, I uh, saw an opportunity to uh, start a consumer products company and locate it in the inner city. And at the mm-hmm. time, was really feeling I'm pulled to better integrate my faith uh, with my work and um, felt like as a business leader could really make an impact in the inner city doing that. So uh, we started Nehemiah with a mission of building brands, creating jobs, and changing lives. And the way we did that is to uh, basically create light manufacturing jobs um, that required kind of low skill um, in the inner city, Mm -hmm. uh, first in the West End and then in Lower Price Hill. 
And as we uh, got going, uh, it was challenging, uh, starting uh, in kind of 09, uh, coming out of the Great Recession, um, but uh, was able to grow that business to um, today employ over 150 people uh, in the inner city. And many of our employees, actually most of our employees, uh, have a felony in their background as we uh, we're getting started in hiring people. We recognize the uh, challenges of finding work, but then the additional barriers um, that people faced if they had a criminal background. And mm-hmm. so that really became our focus on um, what we called second chance, wow. which is helping those with a criminal background get back into the workforce and really get their feet back under them. And you felt like you guys were really breaking the, the patterns of generational poverty and impacting really legacies of generations of new jobs, new careers, new family opportunities through this business. And how did the Bible, how did specifically Nehemiah's story inspire you and impact uh, even the naming of your company? Yeah, so it's, uh, we were putting the company together. Uh, one of the hardest things uh, when you start a company is figuring out what to call it. Sure. Uh, and so I was actually uh, meeting with a, a friend of ours, Matt McKee, who yeah. was a youth pastor here at Horizon at the time. And, and he asked me, hey, hey, Rich, have you read Nehemiah? And I sheepishly said, oh, maybe. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so I went back and read it. And it was just a, a perfect uh, fit and motivation for what we were trying to do. We really felt called um, back to the inner city, um, which is broken, mm-hmm. and, and, and wanted to make a difference. You know, we didn't feel like government was going to solve all the problems or social services who do incredible work here in our city mm-hmm. were going to solve the problems, but really felt like the business community needed to get engaged. Yeah. And um, the way to lift people out of poverty is to uh, give them employment. And I know for you, Nehemiah, he's got a comfortable life. Things are going very, very well. He's in Persia. He's cupbearer to the king. And now he's facing discouragement and challenges he never faced before. What was it like for you to go from a pretty safe career path to now go, I'm going to take this step and maybe face challenges, 2008 challenges, to align my, my professional life with uh, this calling that I had. Yeah, uh, you know, a little bit was, uh, it seemed like a very risky time to start yeah. a job in, in 08 and, and take that leap. But, uh, you know, on, on the flip side, uh, everyone's job was at risk at the time and a lot of companies were really struggling. So mm. kind of felt like if there was any time to, to take yeah. that risk, that, that was a good good jump. And then for me, I just, uh, my faith was uh, just really growing at the time. And I mm. felt this disconnect between, um, my faith and then where I spent most of my time, which was at work mm. and really wanted to find a way to better align that and to be able to use my uh, time, talent, and treasure to make an impact on people. And I know you said how exciting it was to be doing work that now aligned to something you felt like God cared about, poverty, helping f- families, uh, helping people, give people second chance, what the Bible's all about. And it would have been easy now that this company has had success to be comfortable, but you again felt God calling you to move out to some new walls, some new areas to move out. So I called you thinking we we're going to talk about Nehemiah, and you said that God's called you into another challenge, and it's come with its own unique challenges in 2020 that would offer discouragement to many, and you've had some incredible resolve. Tell me what's happened <laughs> in the last year. Yeah, so on, on March 1st of uh, this year, I actually launched a new company called LEO Brands, and LEO means uh, mercy in Greek. Oh. And as an ownership group at Nehemiah, we decided to spin off our, our largest brand, uh, it's called Boogie Wipes, mm-hmm. and uh, into a separate company. We felt like it needed more focus and investment to, to mm-hmm. grow like we wanted it to. And um, I never envisioned leaving Nehemiah. I kind of felt like God had called me there and put me in a unique position. Yeah. 
in what we're doing, but uh, really, you know, prayed a lot as uh, we were talking through some some options and and saw some wise counsel and felt like this mm -hmm. is where God wanted me is to uh, step away from Nehemiah and uh, lead this new company. And little did I know, you know, a week or 10 days later, the entire world was going to shut down and, uh, you know, present, as you said, just a whole new set of challenges to face and trying to launch a business uh, during a global pandemic. And so how are you trying to trust God, to have that resolve, to keep hope, to know he's going to be defendable as you're facing these discouraging challenges, discouraging things that probably weren't part of your business plan? You know, for me, I, I can look back at um, how God really blessed Nehemiah 10 years ago as mm. we faced some similar challenges. And, you know, the first couple of years were, were tough mm. and uh, trying to start a new business um, when the economy was still struggling, um, doing something that people had not done before yeah. in terms of uh, giving people second chances in the city. And as I look back now, uh, it was hard to see at the time, but I could really see how, um, you know, God was blessing that and really um, helping me grow in terms mm. of my business skill, but also in my faith. And, and that's made this journey uh, that much easier. I, I can't say there hasn't been discouragement because right. there has been a lot of challenges. But, um, you know, I just, uh, I know what we're doing is, um, is for a greater purpose. And um, I have a much longer term view now than I probably even did 10 years ago. Mm. And know that, um, you know, these short term challenges um, I, you know, are going to make us better in the long run. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll work through them. Or it's just been great to see how God has grown you through that process. And when I read through Nehemiah, I'm reminded that we all have sand ballads, we all have Tobias that come into our own life that discourage us. And sometimes it's related to the economics. Sometimes with COVID, it's been related to like everything hitting us at once. But I love your example and your advice that continually all through history, we see people who have hope in God, I'm going to win in the end, trust in God, he's with me in the middle of it. And we find it's that resolve and confidence in God that allows us to trust something that's even bigger and more significant than our circumstances. So the first side of that sort of hope is reflection. It's okay to say, how am I feeling about this? Am I anxious? Am I worried? Uh, what, what are the things that Sambald brought up that I'm actually concerned about? And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah begins to reflect how am I feeling about this moment in time and this challenge? Here's what he says in verse four. Hear, O God, we are despised. Turn their reproach on their lands, on their heads. Give them the consequences of how they're discouraging me. Give them as plunder to a land of captivity. He's mad. I hope they get sold into captivity like we did. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you so anger before the builders. Now, the Bible isn't necessarily saying that's a good prayer, but it's an honest one. He is very, very frustrated that after years of captivity, trying to build something to serve other people, that there would be such animosity and narrow-mindedness. Now, you're going to feel that way. I'm going to feel that way. Right? If you try and accomplish anything that matters, there's going to be times you hit a wall. And it's going to bring up anger and frustration and self-doubt. And like, what have I gotten myself into? Right? In the middle of those moments, the two-sided sword of hope begins with being honest with God. I know I shouldn't feel this way, but I just hope they never have anything successful happen to them. I hope you never forgive them for what they've done. I hope they can get in captivity. You know how this feels. All right, that's just such an honest 
prayer. So I don't know about you, but I don't know if you ever thought about hope as just being honest with God. But how is God going to bring hope to your fears if you don't tell him what your fears are? That's why prayer and reflection, sometimes journaling, can be a real healthy way to invite hope into the dark places in our life. I'll start with my friend Mike. Mike's got a guy who he's been going through the Bible with for the last couple of years. And he's new to Bible study. And he said he came across this story that really helped him not only reflect on kind of the, the weighing down of, of chasing a burden, but also how important it was to hand off those burdens to something else. It was a parable this guy shared with him. He said every day, I think it was a plumber in the story, this plumber came home just weighed down by life, weighed down by anxiety, weighed down by everything that didn't go right that day. As he was walking up to have dinner that day, he noticed this plumber coming to his house, just body language seemed exhausted. He walked up and he placed his hand on the tree in his front yard. And all of a sudden, he perked up. All of a sudden, his whole demeanor changed. And he walked inside and met with his family and kids. Well, the man noticed that. So after dinner, he said, uh, hey, I noticed as I was coming in to have dinner, you had just got home from work, and you went and touched that tree in the front yard. What's that all about? The guy says, oh, yeah, 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 that's my trouble tree. What's a trouble tree? Well, every day when I come home, I realize I've been burdened down and troubled. So I place my hand on the tree and I hang all my troubles on the trouble tree. Because my kids and my wife, they don't need to know a lot of the burdens I've had that day. I want to be their dad when I come in through the door. He said, now the amazing thing is the next morning when I return to the tree, most of my troubles are gone. Isn't that a neat parable? I think in one sense, it, it, the lesson of the story is don't be honest with your wife about your troubles. <laughs> the, the moral of the story is we need a trouble tree. Someplace we can reflect and say, God, I need to hang this stuff up because it's starting to wear me down. Two-sided sword. The first is to reflect. The second side of that sword is resolve. Now look how Nehemiah used resolve to come across and combat that two-headed monster. Just resolve. Sam Ballad and Tobiah are not going to stop this work. What's the first aspect of resolve? Redecide. Redecide firmly that this project and these walls are a should be, not a could be. Remember when we began this series? We talked about that that there is something that burdened you, that you felt uniquely obsessed with and passionate about and positioned to, that's a should be. Somebody ought to do something about this. We need stronger marriages. I want to see a dad who knows his kids and knows their heart. I really want to be out of debt or have my kids be free to be successful without financial debt. I want to know what it's like to have a deep relationship with God and make a huge difference in the community. Remember? Something was a should be. But when discouragement begins to crush that, it's like, well, maybe this isn't a should be. It's just something that could have been, but it's not really worth the effort, right? So part of resolve is re-deciding 
in the face of discouragement, this is a should be, not just a could be. And look how Nehemiah does it. So we built the wall. They had a lot of questions. They had a lot of comments. Even if I can knock this over. I felt angry. I felt frustrated. And I prayed about it. And we built the wall. It's a should be. And the entire wall began to be joined together. Just when we were about had together is when we were discouraged. We kept on keeping on. Up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Isn't that a great definition of resolve? I have a mind to keep on working. So Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. We're working hard, but we're getting worn out. And there is so much rubbish, just rock in the way that we're not able to build the wall. We got it halfway to its height, but now another obstacle, another discouragement, another challenge they didn't prepare for. Which means we've got to do a second thing related to resolve and have hope. Now what is that? Resolve to pray and adjust the strategy, right? The bottom line is it's great to have a two-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. Back in 2019, uh, did you have a plan that in any way accommodated for what's become 2020? We didn't. You pray, all right, in light of these new challenges, in light of these new rubbish piles, God, it's still a should be, but we've got to adjust our strategy. And I know you've done a lot of adjusting. I've talked to many of you who've just said we adjusted and adjusted and adjusted. As a church, we have adjusted online services. We adjusted opening a service, opening two, getting a tent, renting a tent, buying a tent, getting reservations, right? We prayed and we adjusted the strategy. It's a should be that we should comfortably connect people to God and people need God more than ever during this time. So let's pray about the new challenges, pray about the new ordinances from the governor and adjust our strategy. That's what Nehemiah does, watch this. So when, there they come again, they're back. When Sanballat and Tobiah came back and they heard the walls of Jerusalem being restored, we didn't discourage them out of this. And the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very angry. Whoa, they were furious before. Now they're very angry, right? And they conspired to come and attack. If we can't discourage you, we're gonna get some soldiers and come and crush this wall while it's at half its height. So now, Nehemiah's got a group of masons and they're gonna have to become soldiers. He's gonna have to adjust his strategy. What does he do? It's pretty amazing. Nevertheless, first thing he does is pray. We made our prayer to our God. That's what's so powerful about Nehemiah. Just one sentence prayers all through this book. God help, I need favor from the king. God help, not sure what to do here. God, we're about to be under attack. What do I do as we're trying to rebuild the walls? He made our prayer to God and because of them, we set a watch, sets a watch to see people coming against them day and night. Then he positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and I set the people according to their families. Each person is defending their family. They got resolve. It matters that we hold the line. With swords and spears and bows and all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So what's he doing here? 
his quality control is genius. He has everyone building the wall that their family lives behind. We mentioned last week. Now he's got everyone defending their family while they're masonry and doing the masonry work. They yank out a sword and they're ready to defend the wall and their family behind the wall. What do you do? This matters for you. This matters for your family. This matters for future generations. So let's resolve to keep building. And if people come and attack, pull out your sword, pull out your bow, because this is worth defending. What we're doing really matters. So resolve. Hope, it's a two-sided sword reflecting on what's going on. Oh, this is hard. And the resolve of redeciding, repositioning, and reorganizing your thoughts to how do we accomplish this based on the new obstacles and the piles of rubbish around us. So what does that mean for us? Well, what it means is that you and I need to be stubborn with the vision. As a church, we're stubborn with the vision. It's a should be. We think at all times, people need to be comfortably connected to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. And even in the midst of this pandemic, we felt committed to our two service strategy. Every week online services, and when we reopened about you know, 20 weeks ago, 15 weeks ago, we offered both services, equipping, verse-by-verse Bible teaching, and exploring. We were stubborn with the vision, but flexible, right, with the planning. At the end of chapter four, Nehemiah says something powerful in verse 19. I said to the nobles and the rulers and the rest of the people, the work we're doing is great, it's extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us here, for our God will fight for us. So as they're facing the challenges of Tobiah and Sanballat coming against them, he says, we're gonna put a trumpet in place. Why, because I know, I know we're far from each other. There's gonna be a trumpet cry, and let's remember, what we're doing matters, it's extensive, it's significant, and God is fighting for us. When you do stuff that really matters, you can bank on, you can trust that God is fighting for you. That's interesting. I interviewed about uh, two years ago my friend uh, Bob McDonald. Uh, Bob was the CEO of P&G, and he also was uh, the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. And I remember I was watching one day on television, and I saw him getting hammered in Congress by just both sides of the aisle. And I happened to be reading Nehemiah. And I texted him that day. I said, hey, Bob, you're doing a great work, coming up against challenges. Don't let Tobiah and Sanballat discourage you. And when I interviewed him about two years ago, uh, we talked a little bit about that and how important it is when you face adversity and challenges to keep on keeping on. Be stubborn with the vision, but flexible with the planning. And that has certainly been true for us as a church as we've been going through this challenging time. In fact, part of what we've been doing is trying to offer differing resources to help you find your vision and find your purpose. So I want to continue to ask you to take the 52-day challenge. We wrote this for us as a church to go through together. Now, if you haven't picked one up, you can get it online at horizoncc.com backslash challenge. 
If you've missed the first couple weeks, that's fine. Start wherever you'd like or pick up right where we are this week. Each day there's a one sentence idea of what you can do to begin to pray, discern, and take on that two-headed monster. In doing so today, you'll see, it's gonna encourage you to read Nehemiah chapter four, the whole thing that I just summarized. Begin to ask yourself, what are your shoulds? What are the feelings going on in your soul during the last nine months of COVID that maybe need to hang on that trouble tree? What is the vision three, five years out that you need to recommit or ask God to recommit yourself to when it comes to resolve? Maybe you wanna go back to last week and say, hey, I wanna be part of some of the things the church is doing with the blue bags or with the other uh, endeavors that we're part of. But I hope this can be a tool because as a church, we are committed to helping you on your journey of connecting with God during this time. And you know where real resolve comes from? It comes from a, a source of strength greater than yourself. And you have never seen resolve like you've seen on the cross. As Ryan mentioned last week, the ultimate Nehemiah is Jesus, because Jesus left the cross. He left heaven, rather, a place of comfort, just like Nehemiah had in Persia. He came down to earth amongst the rubble of betrayal and stubbornness and sickness and pain, and he felt the full brunt of being attacked, being crucified with nails into his hands and into his feet. The Bible said he was God, and at any moment he could have stepped off that cross, but he had resolve. He stayed there on that cross to bring you and I forgiveness, to bring us grace. And given the chance to get off, hey, call out to God, let him down if, you, if, you, if you're really God. Instead, he looked at his enemies. He looked at the Romans themselves. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Until at the very end on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. Enduring the pain of torture, Jesus finished the work so you and I could know his forgiveness and his presence in our life. If you're out of resolve, if you're worn out, invite the ultimate Nehemiah to come in and to do his work in you. And as a church, we want to help you. I hope the 52-day challenge can be one of those ways. The other way is that we're opening services. And part of opening the services, about 15 weeks ago, we opened services. And part of that was our two services. We opened both a 915 equipping service and a 1045 exploring service. However, at that point, we couldn't open our children's ministry. So our 1045 service was actually a family edition. But we have been serving and listening to families. Many of you are not ready to come back, so we're going to continue to offer online services. But many of you have said, we really want to safely bring our families back. So I have great news. We are bringing back our children's programs starting in just a few weeks. And so we've listened strongly to what you've talked about. You're going to have to make reservations to do it, because in the same way that we made reservations to keep everybody safe and make sure everybody has a spot, we're going to have the same reservation system. We're going to continue to use the chapel as well as the tent. And our facilities team has done an amazing job of finding ways to heat the tent as it's getting colder. And they think we can continue to use the tent through Christmas Eve and our Christmas Eve services to keep our capacity high. Now, 
Because of that, you also need to make reservations if you want to bring your children when we reopen the children's program. So the children's program is going to begin at both services. We'll offer it at 9.15 and at 10.45 where you can drop off your kids and they'll be learning now in their environment and we'll be back to our regular equipping and exploring services. Now all of this begins on November 8th. November 8th, we will continue to have our two services, but children's ministry will be concurrent. So you can drop off your kids at the 915 service or the 1045. Reservations begin on November 1st, a week before. So make sure you make reservations because we want to make sure there's space for everyone to connect with God. Now, as you look into that together, I hope that Horizon has been encouragement to you because I get to hear every week people saying, Oh my goodness, every week I'm watching videos, people coming in our front doors, this has been so helpful to me. We wanna help you in your journey of connecting with God. And maybe you'd like to invite the ultimate Nehemiah to be your resolve during this time. If you do, let me pray for you. Let's pray together. Just say, Father, I'm feeling discouraged and I need help and I need hope. And I invite the ultimate Nehemiah to come and reside in me and help me to be stubborn about the vision of knowing my creator. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.